0: Last week we started a new sermon series on money because the way our money and possessions affect our souls is a hot topic for God. That's why you find in more than one place in the Bible, God just hits it head on. He's not embarrassed to talk about it. He doesn't skirt around it. He's not veiled or vague head on. And so we're digging into one of those head-on passages. Let's go back to it. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and let's look at our passage together again. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Oh, I hope you have a Bible, because I don't want you to think I'm saying this, because it's hard stuff. God is saying this, and it can really change your life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great. Gain. The Greek word is mega, mega gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which plunge men into destruction and perdition. Verse 10. One of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible is money the root of all evil. Louder. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you... O man or woman of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, That you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Last week we dug into just verses 6 to 8. Today I want to unpack for you verses 9 to 16, where I think God gives us a radically different perspective on money than what we naturally think. We just assume, would more money be good? Oh, yeah. I don't need to think about it. That's a no-brainer. More money, would that be better? Don't hear me saying money's a sin. Bible doesn't teach that. But the Bible does not talk in a way that would say always, automatically, we would know more money would be better. Because this passage is actually driving home to us an illustration I gave you last week about electricity. You remember that? Is electricity good? Do you thank God for it? Can it do great good? Oh, yes. It can also kill you if you don't know what you're doing with it. That's why the power company has a whole department of people that are paid to put together nice little brochures that every now and then they send out to us to educate us with safety tips about electricity, like not drying your hair while you sit in a tub of water. Things like that. (laughs) Safety tips so that you can use it and enjoy it and not die. This is one of those passages where God is not saying money's a sin. He is saying in no uncertain terms, but it's dangerous. It could kill you if you don't know what you're doing with it. If you don't know how to handle money wisely, it could destroy your soul. That's what God's word teaches us in more than one place. So here's the first thing I want you to recognize. Get a hold of this. Number one. Number one. Recognize how rich you are in comparison to the rest of the world. And here's all I wanna do with this first point. It's short, but I wanna get you lest you check out on me because the word rich is being used in this passage and we're gonna run into it today and we're gonna see it again next week in my message. And I don't want you to put yourself outside of that and say, I hope those rich people are listening. It's you, Paul is talking to you Paul is talking to me. You say, Brad, you haven't even seen my W-2. I don't need to. If you didn't walk here today, you're rich. If when you woke up this morning, you weren't shivering and freezing because of the cold because there's actually heat where you live. If you didn't go outside with a bucket and scoop some water and bring it in to wash your face and you just turned a knob and you have indoor plumbing, if you own a phone, you're rich. Do you realize you're in the top 10 percentile, not percentile, I've got that wrong, percentage of wealth in the world. You've just lost sight of how the rest of the world lives every day. And stay with me. So if you got a phone, if you got heat, you got air, you eat three meals a day, you're in the top 10%, guess what? If you have savings of any amount and you drive two cars in any condition... Even if it arrived here and that coat hanger is holding that muffler up, you still are in this category. You own two cars in any condition and you live in your own house and you don't share it with two or three other families. You are now in the top 5% of wealth in the world. So now I want you to raise your hand if you're rich. Okay, don't make me come down here and smack you, everybody. (laughs) So we've got that settled, right? This passage is talking to us and not just Bill Gates and celebrities and Hollywood and sports figures. It's talking to us because here's the deal. The Greek word that he uses for rich is just the word pluteo. And it simply means to have an abundance of money and resources and possessions. But I know you push back and say, well, that word abundance, I don't have an abundance of money, but I hope I've helped you. Oh my goodness, you got phones, indoor plumbing, heat, air, multiple cars. You don't live with four other families crammed in a home. You have an abundance compared to the rest of the world. Number two, this might surprise you, but since we are rich, number two, oh my goodness, recognize how dangerous it is to be a Christian here in America, in the land of abundance. You say, what, why would that be dangerous? Oh, because of what Paul's telling us right here in this passage is why. You need to understand there is a threat to our souls that we in America are actually at a higher risk and it has to do with stuff, money, and possessions. Verses nine and 10, if you look at verses nine and 10, they are loaded with some of the most frightening, sobering words that you'll find in all the Bible. In fact, it struck me, here's what I think is interesting. The way verses nine and 10 are talking, is similar to how the book of Proverbs talks about the adulterous woman and sexual sin. Oh, oh my goodness, don't go there. Don't go down that path. It'll destroy you like an ox led to the slaughter, like an arrow through your liver. Don't, don't, don't. These two verses have the same sense of urgency that verses about sexual immorality have in the Bible. You can almost hear the sirens and the whistles and the lights exploding from these two little verses screaming at us, watch out, watch out, watch out. Let me read it again. Verses 9 and 10, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which plunge men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, if you know your Bible at all, that sounds a lot like how it talks about sexual sin. Watch out, be careful. Be alert. We could dig into these two verses for hours, but let me just highlight a few of the things that I hope could help you the most. Here's what I want to draw out of verses 9 and 10. Here's the first thing. Wishing for more money can easily, easily turn into living to get it. All right, look at me. Is it a sin to wish for more money? I wish I had more and I would, I would represent it like this with open hand. I wish. Here's what is tricky about the human heart. We, vary, we don't stay there long before it becomes. Not just I wish. Oh, but I will. It's gonna happen. This thing's happening. I'm gonna do this. That word desire right there in verse nine. Those who desire, that word desire it's not the normal Greek word. There's a normal Greek word for wish. This one is stronger. It's the Greek word "boulamai." The Greek word "boulamai" that means it's a wish that you've had long enough and often enough and strongly enough that it shifts into a willful and deliberate desire. It started off like this. But before you knew it, it's like, this. It's a willful, deliberate desire that started as a wish, but it now, here's the thing about desires and will. It now motivates you and changes what you do next. Say, Brad, why are you pointing that out? Well, I'm pointing it out, folks, because I think as Christians here in America, we live right on the razor's edge constantly of I wish I had more money and I will. I will, I will, I will. And when that shift takes place, when that shift from I wish to I will, when that takes place, oh, a series of horrible things kick into place that verses 9 and 10 are talking about. Because get this what you will to happen changes what you choose to do next which changes how you start to treat God and everyone around you. Ooh, will matters. Will is a huge thing in the Bible. What are you willing? What are you, what are you willing to happen? What do you really want? What do you think about most? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed? Don't, that doesn't just impact what you see and what you want next. It impacts how you treat God and others. What are the two great commands? When they press Jesus, the religious leaders say, boil it down, we're confused. What's the great, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbors yourself. Get this, when you, and often you're not aware of it because the heart is what? Completely open book, I understand my heart exactly, I see what's going on. No, the heart is desperately. And who can? This shift can play, take place and you don't even, you don't wear a sign in your neck that says, around your neck that warns everyone at work and your family, watch out, I now am willing something new. I don't just wish it, I want it, I will it, I've gripped it, so don't get in my way. It changes how you relate to God, it changes how you start using other people, you start trampling other people on your way to what you really want, oh. Because look look at what what is laid out in verses nine and 10 willful desire, it's no longer a wish, it's I will. It's deliberate. Willful desire leads to a temptation, which leads to a snare, which ultimately leads to destruction and not just any kind of destruction. Notice what it says at the end of verse 10? And they have pierced, and the Greek word is actually, so don't think, oh, a little thorn there. The word is impaled. And they have impaled, what's the next word? themselves. It's self-inflicted. It's a self-inflicted destruction that you brought on yourself as you headed down this path that has shifted from I wish to I will. I will. I will. A wishing for more money can easily turn into living to get it. But I want to lift to the surface something else in these verses. Secondly, money. This passage is telling us can be an incredible temptation. We always just think, oh, it would be a blessing. More money's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. The Bible does not always play the word game. I say money, you say blessing. The Bible would say, I say money. Temptation can be a great temptation. Did I say in these two weeks, money's bad? It's a sin. But it can be dangerous. Money can be an incredible temptation. But those who desire to be rich, shifted from wish to will, fall into a temptation and a snare. And here's one of the things interesting. That word temptation right there in 1 Timothy 6 is the same Greek word used in the Lord's Prayer. Whole bunch of you were here the first Sunday in 2018 where we started with a concert of prayer like we always do, and this year we, we focused our hearts around the Lord's Prayer. And part of it says, lead us not into, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power, the kingdom, the glory. Here's what I want to ask you, and I'm as guilty as you are. When you pray that, whenever you've prayed, oh, lead me not into temptation, have you ever thought of money? We tend to think, oh, don't let me commit sexual immorality. Oh, don't lead me in, oh, harsh words. Oh, anger. Oh, lustful thoughts. The Bible teaches money ought to come to mind also. Oh, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Money can be a great temptation and a snare. Paul reminds us here in this passage, one of our biggest temptations because of our human hearts that we face is to worship and abuse money. It can do great good, but don't build an altar in front of it. Don't let it be what you live for. Don't let it drive you, motivate you. We live right on that razor's edge. We need it. You can use it for great good. It's not a sin to have it, but oh, it's a sin for it to have you. And all of a sudden your heart has been captured and you worship and abuse money. A leader in the Romanian church. You know, see, we tend to think, here, and, and it's not wrong. We think, oh my goodness, what must it be like be to be a Christian in some of these other hard countries where they're beheading Christians on a beach, where pastors are in prison, where they're being tortured. Don't stop praying, don't hear me saying whatever, I pray. I pray for pastors, I pray for their wives, I pray for the kids, I pray for the Christians to be strong. But did you realize they pray for us? They pray for you in America because they know something that sometimes we are oblivious sadly to. Do you realize persecution is not the worst temptation that Christians face? A Romanian church leader, a pastor who's lived through So I used to be a part of a prayer team and we would fast and we'd pray for Albania. Oh God, help the Christians in Albania and oh God, Romania, oh, horrible places that were ruled by communism that were abusing Christians and I prayed for them. Right to do so. A Romanian leader, pastor who lived through all that and lives now today after communism, the walls have come down, said this. He said, and I quote, in my experience, 95% of the believers who face the test of persecution, pass it, 95% of the believers who face the test, he calls it a test of prosperity, fail it. You realize when the walls of communism came down in Eastern Bloc countries, Yes, thank God for greater freedom for Christians to preach and have a Bible and meet. Guess what else happened? The wealth of the West came sweeping in and it had the same effect on Romanian Christians' hearts that it's having on Americans. It became a distraction. It became a deception. And it led to destruction. In many ways, the human heart can endure persecution better. Than prosperity, We are at risk. We're at risk here. You need to realize that. You're at risk being a Christian that lives in a land of such abundance. You're going to have to guard your heart. If you do any reading on missions today, and I do, you'll see how so many of these countries, the church and Christianity, is doing worse now than it was before. Worse because of the wealth that has come in. I hope that doesn't sound ridiculous to you. It shouldn't if you believe verse 10. Look at verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, comma, for which some have strayed from the faith. Strayed from the faith in their greediness. Third thing I want you to see from these these two verses is money can derail your faith. Money can derail. Money is a trust issue. I hope you understand. That's why our forefathers had enough sense. It was Dwight Eisenhower in 1957 that got Congress to pass whatever they needed to do to put on the money. In God we trust. Why? Because money can become that thing you trust in. You trust in it. If you have it, you trust in it and you don't think you need God. Money can derail your faith. Some have, say it. Strayed from the faith. Now here's, here's what's most dangerous about it. It doesn't just derail your faith. The word that Paul used for strayed is a Greek word that means to slowly or gradually be misled from the right path. It doesn't happen suddenly. So you're not as startled by it as you should be. Because see our enemy, Satan, is he a roaring lion? 1 Peter 5. Does he seek to devour us? But he's not stupid, folks. It's rarely a frontal, all-out assault that's obvious. He's the king of subtle and slow. Adultery is not the only way to wreck your life. You can wreck your Christian faith on the rocks of money And possessions, because everything you choose to possess has the possibility of possessing you. So think very carefully about how much stuff you want to pile up. It's dangerous, 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 strayed from the faith. Satan knows that sudden things startle us. So he's the king of slow, gradual But verse 10 gives us some further insight into what we're learning in verse 9 about that word desire. It goes from a wish to a deliberate, willful choice that now motivates me. You see that word greediness in verse 10? It's a Greek word that means to think about something long enough and often enough that you are willing to exert energy to get it. I keep thinking about it. I long for it. I think about it, I long, and now I'm putting forth energy to get it. That's why the ESV Bible translation, if you got that in your lap, translates verse 10, craving, craving, craving. I have thought about this long enough and often enough that now this motivates me. Here's what I, I, as I mold this over this week, I've been a pastor 31 years. I have a heart to help you on Every area that I think I need to try to help you so that we could all finish well. But here's what popped into my head. Do you know, after, thir- and I'm not exaggerating, after 31 years of being a pastor and 22 years right here, I've never, ever, even though the Bible warns us like it does, talks about this, says how we're so prone to stepping into this, it's such a problem, I've never had anyone make an appointment with me. Or email me and say, Brad, help me. I'm greedy. I crave stuff. I live for stuff. And as soon as I get it, I just redefine it from a luxury to a necessity. And I set my sights on something more. Oh, help me get off this treadmill of greed and covetousness and craving. It's going to destroy me. Now is that because the flock is doing so well? And nobody struggles in this area. I've gotten emails that are very embarrassing, that are very transparent, that are very humbling because they know they're so stuck they want help. I have people say, I've committed adultery. I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. I'm hooked on porn. I'm addicted to a substance. I've stolen things at work. I've slandered somebody. I need to forgive somebody. I'm bitter. I feel broken and horrible about a divorce that I realize now is my fault. Can I meet with you? I need help. I want to work through this. But nobody on greed, covetousness, craving. And therein lies the problem. We don't see it in ourselves. And even when we get little glimpses of it, we don't think it's a big deal. We just say, ah, that's not a big deal. Now, We could point our fingers at those people that we think in our land and in the world are those people living that way. Let's not do that. What would craving and living and always setting your sights on the next thing and redefining what used to be a luxury as a necessity look like in your life and mine? Steve Barnett, would you start? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm gonna start. I'll start. Let me give you an example. Of what it looks like in my life, and I have to say, I've seen it more often than I wish, but I thank God He's given me the grace to see it. Here's what it looks like. Here's what I'm talking about, you guys. I started playing guitar when we, when we lived in Spain. I lived in Spain, Spain, Madrid, two years. My dad said, Hey, boys, I got a twin brother, I want you to play guitar. So we bought bottom-of-the-line, cheapest Ramirez classical guitars known to man. I played guitar. In 1999, so I've been playing guitar since I was 13 years old, but I had never owned a nice guitar. In 1999, our church is meeting in in Dixie High. There's no worship leader yet. Yours truly is leading worship, unstrapping, preaching. And I'm using a pretty nice borrowed guitar from somebody in our church that's still here. And then he came to me and he said, ah, I need to get that guitar back. My teenage son started taking guitar lessons. But before my heart could sink, he went on to say, oh, I want you to go out and get the guitar you've always wanted and I'll pay for it. Oh, oh, my guitar heart was racing. Oh, I didn't do this quickly. Let's be careful. Let's think this through. Hurt the man. This is my chance. (laughs) Let's find out what's out there. Oh, I did research, I did homework, I went to music shops where, I don't know if you know this, there's a special room in the back. (laughs) I bet you've never been there. I'd never been there, but I was there now. (laughs) Where they give you personal one-on-one attention with a cheese tray and a beverage, and oh, here, here are the nice guitars in a room that's like kept at just the perfect temperature regarding the wood and the guitar, and oh, I played a Martin, I played a Taylor, I played an Ovation, I played all the big names. And then I chose a Canadian hand-made Larravee that I thought was the best sounding guitar I'd ever heard in my life. Bought it. He reimbursed me. I do remember him saying, ooh, ha ooh, ha ha. I didn't. <laughs> but he followed through <laughs> to his credit. <laughs> and then I settled in with a lifetime of enjoyment. Not Sooner than you would think, and if you were honest, it's happening to you too, something ugly happened. Within two years, even though I was seated higher up in the guitar world now with the nicest guitar I'd ever owned, what happened? In that new zone, it had only made me, when I had crap, it didn't matter. Now, there's just something a little bit better and it's almost mine. I got my heart set on a, V Rosewood Cut away. Guitar I, did, I didn't know it mattered before There's pine, there's spruce There's ro- rosewood's really nice I didn't know there could be pearl inlaid around the edge There can <laughs> Zero difference in the way it sounds But oh you look good As you play that I mean you see what's happening here And I started saving I'm gonna get the Larravee Rosewood cutaway guitar. And it's gonna take me a while to say for that. I'm, I'm saving, I'm saving. Now, here's what I think is interesting. I'll never forget it. And it was, a, it was a significant game changer in my life that threw me on this path of giving. If you ever wonder, how did you get this way, Brad? This was part of it, the story I'm telling you. God did something so wise and wonderful that impacted my heart far more greatly than if he had said, no. He could come swooping in and said, no. Play a thank you song on that guitar the rest of your life, you ungrateful oaf. (laughs) Turn the internet off. Stop looking at Rosewood guitars. What is wrong with you? He didn't. He just let me save my money. Yeah, the shrink go. Yes, save it. Go, man. Save, save, save. Oh, yeah. So I'm saving my money till I've got $1,700. Now, this is 20 years ago. So ramp it up. A lot of money. And I've got it picked out. I know the model. I know where I'm buying it. I'm ready to pull the trigger. And then God said, yes, buy it. I'm excited too. But don't keep it. Give it to Billy Apostolo in New York City. Here's what had happened. Within the last 18 months, while I was saving, I did a men's retreat in New York City where I led worship and I taught. And they put me together with a little team of guys from the church. And one of them was Billy Apostolo, best guitar player I'd ever gotten close to. Certainly inside the church. Just unbelievable And God had recently saved him. He was a new Christian. He had been an alcoholic in the music bar scene. His life was a wreck. His finances were a wreck. He had one of the sweetest wives, two or three beautiful children, and a sad guitar. But he was amazing. And God said, yeah, buy it. And send it to Billy. Now here's what you need to understand. At first, it did take me a minute. <laughs> How about we just not spend it? We put it in savings. Oh! But here's what God understands. No is just a delay, and it didn't. Cha- it wouldn't have changed my heart. It would not have had the effect of giving away. You think about it. Write this in your notes. This bonus. It's not in your outline. Ephesians 4:28 says. Let him who stole steal no longer. He could have ended right there. A thief that gets caught and is in jail does not necessarily have a changed heart. He's just a thief out of work without opportunity. Listen to what it says. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor with his own hands to have something to give to him who has need. That's when repentance takes place. And the heart changed. I was taking, now I'm giving. Folks, it took me a a moment or so, but I began to get so excited. The joy I felt in thinking about surprising Billy Apostolo as I tried to track down his apartment address, figure out how it could be shipped safely, to surprise him with this beautiful guitar was joy on a level, it was like, It was like steroid joy compared to the joy I'd had in owning it. And it lit something in me that, by God's grace, has never gone out. I don't want to just say, oh, oh, don't don't want so many things, don't spend so much. Folks, if you want to see your heart change, the full circle is don't spend it all on yourself. Do give more away. Give things away. Give money away. Watch your heart change. Watch the joy Soar as you become a giver. I mean, you do realize Jesus said it's more blessed to than to receive. But some of you, that just falls flat on you. You, The word blessed in the Hebrew is, oh, the happinesses. Oh, the happinesses of the person who gives. Some of you need to find that out. Unbelievable. To be a giver. So that's what it looks like. Because remember I told you last week? So that example of the guitar is exactly what I told you last week. Remember I said there's a dirty little secret about whenever you get to move up to something nicer as to why it doesn't satisfy you. Because as soon as you're there, there's a bottom to that new zone. So there were these, and I got one towards the bottom, and there's Larravees. And it just doesn't end. You can play this game with cars, houses, restaurants, destination vacations, cameras, guitar, it doesn't matter what you get. There's a version of it that's just a little better and your sinful and my sinful, wicked heart will just set its sights on the next little better. Watch out, watch out. Number three, he doesn't just warn us, he gives us a strategy. I love the Bible. The Bible does not consist of don't, 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 don't. There's a lot of don't. But then he says, here's what to do instead. So point number three, recognize how relentless you're gonna have to be in this fight to keep from getting sucked into the money trap. Oh my goodness. The way these verses are worded, he starts giving us a strategy in verse 11. He starts giving us a plan in verse 11. And look at me a minute. It's a two-pronged plan, and it's the fundamental way you see the Bible talking all through the New Testament it's not just fight against greed, fight against covetousness. Yes, that's, that's stage one. It's always, I could do it in two words, it's always fighting and delighting. Fighting and delighting. He gives us the fighting part in verses 11 and 12. Do whatever it takes to keep fighting against your own flesh and this world system. Do whatever it takes, letter A. Do whatever it takes to keep fighting against your own flesh and this present world system. He says, you old man of God, God, flee, pursue, fight, lay hold. And here's what you need to understand. All of those Greek verbs are in the present active imperative. Here's what that means. It's not just do it once. It's, guys, you've got to keep doing it you got to keep fleeing. you got to keep pursuing. you got to keep laying hold. You've got, it's like, do it. You're going to have to do it again. That story about the guitar, that did not solve it, right? I still bump up against that same ugliness in my heart. I'm going to have to do it again and do it again and do it again. When you think you've done it enough, do it again. Present, active, indicative. This will not just be some little skirmish you run into and it'll never be a one and done. Remember 2018 when we all put to death craving? Uh, When we all got more informed about the danger of money and possessions and we're all more alert and trying to work at this is how we should talk about 2018. It's not one and done. You gotta keep on doing it. And the word flee right there It's the Greek word fuego that means to stay on the run. Here's what I think is cool. It's the word, root word, from which we get our English word fugitive. Someone on the run intent on not being caught. We as Christians should be fugitives of this materialism on the run, you're gonna to have to stay on the run, intent on not being caught, intent on not being caught. I do not wanna get caught up in this. I do not want it to get a hold of me and destroy me and render me useless for the kingdom. Fugitive, which brings to mind one of my favorite movies of the title, The Fugitive, with Harrison Ford. There's no football today, if you don't, if you haven't seen that, watch it today. The fugitive with Harrison Ford running and he's playing the role of Dr. Richard Kimball who's been accused of murdering his own wife in his home but he didn't do it. And he wants to prove he didn't do it but to prove he didn't do it he can't be sitting in jail. He's got to be out. So he's on the run and he is committed to not being caught. And Tommy Lee Jones, rustling me up a donut with some sprinkles on it. Tommy Lee Jones (laughs) is after him. But this guy, here's what it looks like when you're on the run and you're intent on not being caught. It means you're willing to do some really radical, extreme things to keep from being caught. My favorite scene is where Tommy Lee Jones just chased him through a water drainage pipe that opens out, huge, it's it's bigger than the height of a man, opens out at the top of a dam. So here he is, it looks like there's no escape. Harrison Ford standing there on the edge of that. Tommy Lee Jones comes up, gun pointed. Richard, it's over. Put your hands on your head. I also want to point out I know my armpits are wet. It's just. (laughs) But I got to do this for the illustration. My wife's always like, in third service, she's going to see this and say, Oh! So can we all just get over that and go with the illustration? Yes, they're wet. I'm very hot. He puts his hands on his head. Tommy Lee Jones is pointing a gun. He says, put your hands on your head, Richard. He puts his hands on his head and then he looks down and then he just starts leaning and he does a flip and drops hundreds of feet into the churning water. And just then other policemen show up and they're like, what happened? Where'd he go? Tommy Lee Jones walks over the edge and says, the guy just did a Peter Pan right off this (laughs) dam right here. I won't tell you what they said because it's not church friendly. (laughs) Here's what I want you to get. For us as Americans to finish well in America to the glory of God, we're going to have to be willing to do a Peter Pan right off the dam of materialism and money. And so uh, so many people are going to say, you don't need to be that radical. What is wrong with you? That's crazy. What are you... If you want to finish well, we can't play at this. You're going to have to be committed to being a fugitive for life and not getting caught in the money trap, the materialism trap that leads to the destruction of our souls. There's, there's serious stuff at stake here. Now, here's where every illustration breaks down. Tom, uh, uh, Harrison Ford was on the run on his own. The Bible actually teaches we fight best with other believers at close range in our lives. One of the ways to help you do this is not to be that island Christian and no one knows you. And that's why you gotta be with other believers at close range in a small group. Just this past week, a a, a dear single woman in our church that's in the mortgage industry emailed me. She said, December, January is always slow. I know it, I plan for it, but oh Brad. And she thanked me for the message. She said, oh man, I still get anxious when I've got nothing coming in at the end of the month. Anxious, I know I should trust God. He's always been faithful, but I still, but here's what I want you to hear that she said next. Christians who think the only thing they need to do in that situation is pray are wrong. She said, you need other believers, like you always say Brad, at close range and you need to get in the word. These are the things that keep me going, end quote. Prayer, yes. Bible and other believers as we fight this. That's why Hebrews 12, one and two says, let us, let us lay aside every weight. Materialism is a weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We need other believers in our lives. But let me show you the second prong. So yes, fighting against your flesh and the world system, but the second piece of this strategy, do whatever you can to keep delighting in your Savior and what's coming next. It is not a mistake, you guys. Even as I read it, the whole passage, didn't it feel odd how all of a sudden he took this tangent with Jesus and immortality and unapproachable light and honor and king of kings and potentate and then had to get back to Command those who are rich in this present. That was not, that was not some random thought where he lost his train of thought. It's there on purpose. Fighting and delighting is how you finish well. Because here's the deal, I would say it to you this way. You cannot be just a present tense in the moment Christian. If you're just putting your head down and saying, I'm gonna fight this, I'm gonna fight this, I'm gonna fight this, I'm gonna fight this, gonna fight this, gonna fight this, gonna fight this and you don't, Have delight in who Jesus is and what's coming next, you'll lose heart and you'll quit. Here's how I would say it your present moments have to be framed up solidly between God's redemptive acts in the past and the glorious future He's planned. What he's done and what's to come, what he's done and what's to come changes how you live and think and fight now. What he's done and what's to come. The whole Bible's written that way. All the New Testament letters, Paul's not just clearing his throat in Ephesians when he takes three chapters to say blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is blessed forever you have any places, just as he chose you, filled you, sealed you, gave you a pledge, redeemed you, ransomed you, made you alive. Three chapters telling us what God's done before he says in chapter four, therefore walk in a manner worthy of the, con. and then he gets specific with marriage and parenting and job and spiritual warfare, what he's done, And then often the Bible will go and pull the curtain back and say, look, 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 look what's coming. Look what's coming. What he's done and what's to come changes how you fight now. That's why Paul gives us verses 13 through 16, a doxology of praise. Because, listen, the war we're in against sin, not just materialism, any sin, is a worship war for our hearts. It's a worship war. That's why Sam Storm says, it's a dreary holiness indeed that is merely resisting sin. If your version of Christianity is just don't, 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 unless you have a sweeter, you've tasted a sweeter, yes, you will find it very hard to say no to this because this is the best you know. See, some of you, the reason you struggle and fall and fail as often as you do is because the world is so real to you and your savior is so unreal. And that needs to change. When you've tasted something better, he says the joy of holiness is found in having heard a sweeter song. This is the one true meaning of grace. Grace does not demonize our desires, nor destroy them, nor lead us to deny them. Grace is the work of the Holy Spirit in transforming our desires so that knowing Jesus becomes sweeter than illicit sex, sweeter than money and what it can buy, sweeter than every fruitless joy, grace. Grace. Is God satisfying our souls in his son so that we're ruined for anything else? See, until you've been so satisfied in who Jesus is and, what, and your relationship with him, what the world offers will still look like prime rib. When you've got the sweetness of Jesus roaring It looks like what it really is, cotton candy, empty, trinkets, baubles, plastic. So this fight is not just a fight to not do this, it's a fight to stir up this. The only way I know how to do this, if you're saying, well, how would I do that, Brad? If you'll read the Bible, how much of it? Say it again. He knows the diet we need. He'll give you chapters where he recounts God's acts of redemption in the past, what he's done. He'll give you chapters where he pulls back the curtain. If you'll read it, all of it, you'll stay framed up, framed up with what God meant for us to have as you live in this present moment. Let's bow our heads together. And I wanna ask you if you'd be willing to pray what might sound like a really radical, scary prayer at first but I think it could change your life. Would you be willing to pray right now, God, ruin me for anything else? Ruin me. Satisfy my soul so deeply in Jesus Christ and your grace and my robe of righteousness and my adoption and what you've done and what's coming Settle me and make me so secure in your love (gasps) that I can stop chasing after the things of the world and expecting people, stop laying such heavy demands on people around me and what they need to do for me. Ruin me for anything else. It's the same thing the hymn writer was saying in Trust and Obey when he said, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Say, oh God, show me the glory and grace of Jesus. Your kingdom, your riches, your reward. Ruin me. Oh God, I pray that you would work in us not just the the strength and will to say no to temptation and no to the snares of materialism, but oh, so satisfy our souls in the riches of Jesus that we've heard a sweeter song that just makes illicit sex look like what it really is, that looks like money and all it can buy look like what it really is. Oh, God, give us that sweeter song. Satisfy that we might finish well and not be destroyed on the rocks of materialism. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.